Hello and welcome to Ice Age Prep Reads. Season 4, Magnetic Reversals and Evolutionary Leaps by Robert Felix. And I know some of you might be listening and going, oh, the last time, the last previous episode, you said season five. Well, I did, and that was an error. I made a total mistake. And no, it's season four, uh, not season five. And uh, this is Robert Felix's book, um, Magnetic Reversals and Evolutionary Leaps, The True Origin of Species. Um, This is an awesome book that I read a couple years ago. And... um, I found out not that long ago that Robert Felix actually passed away uh, last month. Um, and this is just a great book. I wanted to share it with everybody. And I wanted to share it because I also found out that on his website, uh, info, it's uh, no longer available. I think you can still find it online uh, at some places. I even looked on archive.org and I didn't see it there. And I was like, okay, this book has got to get read so it can get distributed and people can hear about it and learn about it. Now, I read this a couple years ago when I was commuting and I read it on the uh, bus all the time and it was very, very interesting. This episode um, is going to be chapter three and four and uh, the reason I mentioned about where the book is or isn't is because I always try to suggest, you know, to find a copy of the book or a PDF copy of the book so you can see the images and the charts uh, that are in the book because they really add a lot to the book as well. Um, this one will probably be a little bit harder for you to find. Um, if you actually can find it, uh, let me know uh, where you uh, where you find it at, and uh, I'd be great. I could share that with everybody else who may be interested in the book. You can either let me know at my Twitter age underscore prep, um, or you can go to anchor.fm slash ice age prep reads. Um, let me know there, and then I can pass it along. Also, you know, I just want to thank you, everybody who's listening. And if you feel like uh, you're enjoying this and you want to support the podcast, please go to anchor.fm, ICH Prep Reads, and look at the submission button. You can support this podcast for as little as 99 cents a month. And trust me when I say every little bit helps. I truly appreciate it. On with the book. Chapter 3. Savants and priests of the earliest cultures knew that the earth was flat. To think otherwise was absurd. If the earth had another side beneath our feet, rain would have to fall upwards, water would not stay in lakes, and people would have to walk upside down. S. Warren Carey Chapter 3. A Deadly Mistake Mass extinctions have been the rule, rather than the exception, for 3.5 billion years that life has existed on the planet. Almost identical, each extinction was abrupt, each was extensive, and each was caused by some temporary, unexplainable event. What could that temporary, unexplainable event have been? For clues, let's look at one of the most famous extinctions of all time, the dinosaur extinction of 65 million years ago. 75% of all species go extinct. Calling it the dinosaur extinction is misleading because dinosaurs weren't the only animals that died. It was mass extinction, global and suddenly. 75% of all species on the planet went extinct, never again to appear in the geological record. The sheer number of other deaths, says scientists, make the dinosaur disappearance look almost like an afterthought. The dinosaur's grave marks the end of one geological period and the start of another, the end of the Cretaceous period and the beginning of the tertiary, 
it is known as the KT boundary. And what happened to the plants? Though most vegetation at the end of the Cretaceous consisted of flowering plants and trees, tree pollen almost totally disappeared. Tree pollen almost disappeared. Plant pollen and spores disappeared so rapidly at the KT boundary, said Robert Schutte of the U.S. Geological Survey, that, quote, we can envision the forest dead in less than a year's time. The catastrophic change, Tashuti said, compares to the scenario after a volcanic eruption as ferns established tenuous new footholds in barren fields of lava. Meanwhile, many world-class geologists contend that volcanoes killed the dinosaurs. It's a legitimate argument. Massive volcanic eruptions occurred all over the world right at the KT boundary. Kevin Padian, curator of the Museum of Paleontology at the University of California, Berkeley, adds fire to the volcanic theory. Padian, along with Cynthia Fowe, a paleontologist at the Museum of Rockies in Bozeman, Montana, points out that many dinosaur bodies have been found twisted and contorted with their mouths wide open, heads thrown back, and tails were curved, as if the beasts had suffered violent at death, perhaps asphyxiated by volcanic gases or ash falls. Many dinosaurs, ranging from the flying to Cerus, to Tyrannosaurus rex, as well as many early mammals, exhibit similar agonized postures. Sea dwellers, big and small, from giant sea serpents to rudest claims, clams to microscopic plankton, were almost decimated. But why? Sea dwellers had not declined or lost vigor, said Serlich and Johansson in Science. Healthy and numerous, there was no warning of their impending doom neither in the form of decreasing population density nor in diversity. And why were certain animals spared? Why were ocean dwellers almost annihilated while freshwater animals survived? Crocodiles and alligators came through with flying colors, as did freshwater turtles. 14% or less of freshwater dwellers died, while freshwater mollusks underwent no significant deaths at all, says Charles Drake of Dartmouth College. What kind of mad killer would destroy 70% of sea dwellers while killing only 14% of freshwater inhabitants? Why did ocean dwellers who secreted calcium carbonate almost disappear, while those that secreted silica remain almost untouched? And why did the ocean temperature shoot upward? Ocean temperatures went up, mind you, not down. Paleontologist Kenneth J. Sue. 1982 thinks ocean temperatures shot upward an incredible 10 to 12 C or 18 to 22 Fahrenheit. The increase was abrupt and short-lived. What could have heated all of the world's oceans by 18 to 22 degrees? For that matter, what could have pulverized Denmark's fish? That's right, pulverized their fish. Denmark's boundary clays contained so many shattered fish fragments that they're called the fish clays. The fish clays on the coast south of Copenhagen, near the town of Stensklint, consist of four-inch-thick layer of dark gray clay sandwiched between a layer of white chalk below and two layers of white limestone above. Except for the broken bones, the fish clays contain almost no hint of life. Black Muds Not only acidic and cretaceous seas were also anoxic, deficient in oxygen, Scientists assumed that the seas were an anoxic because of the black muds that settled to the bottom of the seas, black muds that later became black shales, black shales on top of apparently healthy reefs. The sea suffered from indigestion, said Alfred Fisher of Princeton University. 
so much carbon in soup poured into the seas that they couldn't metabolize it all. Again, it's a recurring thing. Carbon-laced black shales are found at the ends of several geological periods, including the Cambrian, the Permian, the Silurian, the Ordovician, the Devonian, and the late Triassic. Triassic. Digme McLaren at the University of Ottawa speaks of black shales at the Franzian Vaminian extinction, while Anthony Hallman tells of black shales at the end Aptian and Pleinsbachian and Encinomanian. Where did that carbon come from? Carbon anomalies also occurred on land. There's so much carbon in the boundary clay, said University of Chicago graduate student Wendy Wolbach, that more than 90% of all vegetation on Earth and many millions of animals must have burned as raging forest fires engulfed the planet. Black and dirty, soot-filled skies that, have, that would have turned day into night. The darkness combined with frigid temperatures could have lasted for months, if not years. And what about the coal? Many dinosaur bones are found lying beneath a layer of coal. Sometimes entire dinosaur skeletons are found laying within the coal itself. More about dinosaur bones and coal later. Larger animals at risk. There are just some of the mis- these. Those are just some of the mysterious mysteries. <laughs> those are just some of the mysteries. On land, all animals weighing more than 55 pounds were killed, while many small animals survived. Many families of lizards and mammals passed through the disaster almost unfazed. So what's the answer? When paleontologists try to understand the past, they look at the layers of soil, clay, and rock, and the fossils embedded in those layers that were deposited during the period they're studying. In 1978, geologist Walter Alvarez made a serendipitous discovery in the Apennine Mountains near Gubbio, a small town in central Italy. Alvarez had gone to Gubbio because he was interested in periods of reversed polarity, time when compasses would have pointed south instead of north. Iridium. As Alvarez conducted experiments on, Gubi, on the Gubbio clays, he found abnormally high concentrations, up to 30 times greater than normal, of iridium. Iridium is a metallic element resembling platinum. He also found unusually high concentrations of osmium, antimony, and arsenic. For what it's worth, Denmark's fish clays contained 200 times the normal amount of iridium. Would he find iridium in other locations? A resounding yes. Alvarez found a half-inch thick layer of iridium-laced clay all across the globe right at the KT boundary. Boundary clays from around the world. It made no difference where they came from. All contained excess iridium. Boundary clays from New Zealand held 20 times normal concentrations. Boundary clays from Denmark held even more. But how did such a huge amounts of iridium get scattered across the planet? Though there seems to be plenty of iridium in Earth's core, it's rare in the crust. How did it get to the surface? And in a layer? It looked at his if it had come from the sky. It did come from the sky. Iridium is relatively common in celestial bodies such as asteroids and meteorites, Alvarez recalled. The iridium points to a cataclysmic collision between the Earth and a giant galactic intruder, he proclaimed. A mountain-sized asteroid of at least six miles in diameter had crashed into the Earth head-on. Reversed magnetic polarity. But wait, what about the reverse polarity? 
After all, wasn't that why Alvarez went to Cubillo to begin with? Could a magnetic reversal have caused the extinction? No, most scientists insist a polarity reversal would have caused, quote, no meaningful consequences, end quote. The Earth's magnetic field has reversed itself many times in the past, they point out, with no ill effects that they know of. But they have to say something, so they usually toss in an aside about some guy named Ufen who came up with the magnetic reversal theory back in the 1960s. Our magnetic field shields us from cosmic rays, says Ufen. When the field reversed, we temporarily lost our shielding, and mutation causing cosmic rays bombarded the Earth. Cosmic rays? Far out. No one paid much attention to Ufen. What a deadly mistake. Chapter 4 It would be an irony if one of the elements that led Alvarez to the planetismal cause of the extinctions was itself the agent of those extinctions. Michael Allaby and James Lovelock Chapter 4 The Irony Forty precious years ago, Robert Ufen warned us about magnetic reversals. Forty precious years during which we could have been preparing for the coming disaster. Now we need to play catch-up, and we need to do it fast. Our, magnetos, the, our magnetic field, the magnetosphere, shields us from the charged particles in the solar wind, said Buffin, of Canada's Western University, Canada's University of Western Ontario. During a geological geomagnetic reversal, cosmic radiation would bombard our planet, leading to mutation or death. I think Ufen was right. So do many others. New kinds of animals appear in the geological record virtual simultaneously with magnetic reversals, said Kennedy and Watkins of the University of Rhode Island. Reversals strongly influence population trends, said C.J. Waddington of the University of Minnesota. Faunal animal changes occurred near several reversals, said Alan Cox of Stanford University. Radiation and mutation. But why? It all goes back to radioactivity. We have long known that exposure to ionizing radiation increases mutation rates, said paleontologist John F. Simpson. During a polarity reversal, the Earth's magnetic field strength would drop to zero, allowing excess radiation into the skies. Geomagnetic field strength is decreasing right now, Simpson noted. But other scientists disagree. It would make no difference if magnetic field strength dropped all the way to zero, they said. Even if a charged particles weren't deflected by the magnetic field, it would need to be traveling at an almost impossibly high rate of speed to make it through our atmosphere and to the ground. Some, part, some cosmic particles do travel at a possibly high rates of speed more later. Today, the ideal that radioactive materials could rain to the Earth is considered a fact. Radioactive elements such as carbon-14 are constantly created high in our skies when the speeding particles and cosmic rays collide with nitrogen atoms in the atmosphere. This process, called nuclear electron capture, adds or removes electrons from atoms or molecules that were previously neutral. Add a neutron to almost any atom, said Willard F. Liddy, one-time commissioner of the Atomic Energy Commission, and it will become heavier and frequently radioactive. Beryllium-10 is another radioactive element created high in the sky. So are helium-3 and tritium. Small amounts of radioactivity are falling to the Earth this very second. That radioactivity can be linked to our magnetic field and to the magnetic reversals. Peel back the layers of mis 
geometries surrounding polarity reversals. Peel back the layers of clay igubio and you'll solve the entire extinction enigma. You'll also destroy the idea of slow, gradual evolution. Let's begin peeling. How can we tell that our magnetic field was reversed at a particular time in history? Through magnetostratigraphy, the study of the magnetic properties of ancient layers of sediment, strata, now hardened into rock. Magnetic materials such as magnetite occur in all rocks. Like miniature magnets, there are tiny pieces of ferrous metal that aligned with the Earth's magnetic field as the rocks were being formed. As sedimentary grains drifted to the bottom of the Earth's magnetic field, twists them in the water like compass needles until they align with the field. By determining their lie, which way they point, scientists can tell which way was north at the time the strata formed. Magnetism in the Curie Temperature So too with igneous rocks and basalt. Magnetites and magma and lava also align with the Earth's magnetic field. Non-magnetic while hot, their iron and titanium oxides become magnetic as they harden and cool through the Curie Temperature, thus writing a record in stone as to when the rocks were created. Those rocks show that our magnetic field has reversed itself many, probably many thousands of times throughout history. Periods of reversed or normal polarity are divided into magnetostratigraphic epochs. To honor the work of the early pioneers, today's epochs, which began around 780,000 years ago at the Bruins Matayama boundary, is called the Bruins Epoch. The epoch before today is an epoch of reverse polarity is named Maruyama. Magnetic excursions aborted reversals. In addition to full-scale reversals, our magnetic field sometimes moves away from the north for short periods of time and then moves back. These movements, called magnetic excursions, are found in lava flows in many parts of the world and from many different periods. Magnetic excursions usually begin suddenly as the magnetic north pole moves rapidly and smoothly toward the equator. Sometimes the pack popped back to its original position almost immediately. Other times it crossed the equator and moved partway through the opposite hemisphere before swinging back to its near axial north-south position. Magnetic excursions, many paleomagnetists believe, were actually aborted reversals. Geomagnetic excursions are generally brief, ranging from about 500 years to perhaps 5,000 years. Mankinen and Wentworth, 2003. Geomagnetic excursions are generally brief. Oh, I just read that part. Apologies. Because excursions can be so short-lived, they can also be easy to miss in the geological record, and can be easily confused with other excursions or reversals. There's still lots to learn about magnetic reversals, but one of the most exciting discoveries is that they may occur, recur in a pattern. Not only in a pattern, magnetic reversals appear to occur in sync with ice ages and with precession of the equinoxes. Why is this important? Because mutation causing radi radi radiogenic materials bombard our planet in sync with the same cycle. And it happens fast. Strontium. Evidence comes from the rapidly changing strontium ratios in the seas. The changes show no lag time, said Philip Frolock in Nature. The ratios change in phase with growth and decay of the ice. But that's impossible, said Frolick. Strontium has a residence time in the sea of several million years, too long to explain such rapid rates of change.
Strontium ratios change so rapidly, said Clemens Farrell and Gromit of Brown University, that there may be glacial age strontium sources not yet accounted for. You bet there are strontium sources not yet accounted for. More later. Dramatic spikes in radioactivity. Dramatic spikes in other elements also appear in the record. Radioactive carbon-14 levels increased by 300-400% to 400% at the end of the last ice age, said the French scientist Alain Mazad. Mazad. This strongly reinforces the hypothesis, says Mazad, that geomagnetic variations are the major source of long-term variations in the abundance of carbon-14. Another drastic increase in carbon-14, four to five times normal, occurred around 22,000 years ago said Edward Bard of Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. The most reasonable explanation, said Bard, involves magnetic modulation. Carbon dioxide levels also increased by about 30% at the end of the last ice age. And again, it wasn't the only time. The carbon dioxide record exhibits the cyclical change corresponding to precession, said J.M. Barnola. It's called the carbon cycle. Beryllium-10. Same with beryllium-10. Twice the normal amount of beryllium-10 is found in 60,000-year-old ice, said GM Raysbeck of Laboratoire René Barnes in Orsay, France. Another spike in beryllium-10 occurred 35,000 years ago. The dramatic difference may have been caused by changes in magnetic intensity, said Raysbeck, and may be related to the Lake Mungo magnetic excursion. More about Lake Mungo later. Another spike in beryllium-10 occurred 780,000 years ago in the Brune's magnetic reversal. Other spikes occurred at 105,000 years ago, 90,000, 68,000, and 23,000 years ago at the Mono Lake magnetic reversal. The most recent spike, two to three times normal, occurred about 11,000 years ago during the Gothenburg magnetic reversal. Even methane. Methane levels doubled at the end of the last ice age. And again, it wasn't the only time. Changes in methane levels are cyclical and can be linked to orbital variations. Peaks in sulfite, nitrate, and chloride also occurred at the end of the last ice age. A layer of black carbon. Same with soup. While exploring ancient caves for his doctoral thesis, John S. Copper of Columbia University discovered a layer of black carbon deposited near the end of the last ice age. It must be souped, Copper theorized. Maybe early humans managed their crops by burning. Sure, blame it on the humans. That's who we've tried to pin the mammoth extinction on, too. But, we should, but should we take the rap for all the other debris swirling through those ice age skies no way nor should we take the rap for today's increases in the same elements carbon dioxide levels along with methane hydrocarbons sulfur and nitrogen oxides and others are increasing daily said Dix dixie lee ray and lou guzzo in their 1990 book trashing the planet the rate of increase is substantial about one percent per year again many scientists blame humans but it's not as simple as that said ray former chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission. Such increases have occurred in the past without any help from us at all, and this time is probably no different. Most likely the causes were and still are colossal cosmic forces quite outside human ability to control. Which brings us to the geomagnetic reversals and equinoctial procession. 
Put those two forces together and you found that colossal cosmic force that Ray and Guzo were talking about. Think about it. Layers of black soot. Increases in carbon-14, strontium, and beryllium-10. Increases in methane, sulfate, nitrate, chloride, carbon dioxide, and hydrocarbon levels, all in sync with geomagnetic reversals. And we don't think magnetic reversals are important? That's the end of chapter 4. Again, this is a fantastic book. This is Magnetic Reversals and Evolutionary Leaps, The True Origin of Species uh, by Robert Felix. Um, Thank you for joining us for chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to get the next two chapters up as soon as possible, probably in the next couple of days. I appreciate all of you listeners. If you find this uh, interesting and fascinating and you want to support us, please go to anchor.fm slash ishprepreads and find the uh, support button. And for as little as 99 cents per month, you can help uh, support this podcast so we can continue to do what we do. Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll be talking with you real soon.